The Pace Line Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com forward slash paceline to support the show and learn more. And the Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now on to the show. If you listen to the Pace Line through earbuds, then this show is for you. I always take the earbuds out for big descents, not so much because I want to be aware of things as that uh, there's enough wind noise that I can't hear anything anyways, and I don't want an earbud to fall out and lose it, you know. And our special guest host, Phil Guyman, talks about writing for Jonathan Vodders. And Vodders is someone who, he's he's Vodders, um, and I... I wasn't treated perfectly by him, but he was kind of, he was, he was the gatekeeper at the point where the gate was locked on me. Paceline, the podcast on two wheels with Patrick, Phil the Thrill, and me, Fatty. This is show number 87 of the official podcast of Red Kite Prayer, and of course you can and should subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Phil, how do you like the way I just sort of snuck you into the intro there? That was good. It's like I belong here. (laughs) You do. If you've ever (laughs) belonged on a podcast, it is this one. And uh, you also probably noticed that I snuck hottie out of the intro on this one and that is because hottie uh would literally rather be at a dentist appointment than recording this podcast or at least that would seem to be the case because that is what he is doing right now he couldn't be here he had back-to-back dentist appointments so uh sorry he's like i'd rather hang out i'd rather get a root canal than talk to phil i get that a lot (laughs) you know i get the same thing but Hmm. not about phil so Phil I may need to call my dentist. <laughs> we've got Phil here for the whole show. Not we normally of course just do interviews, but Phil is a co-host for this episode of the Pace Line and we're going to be talking a lot about his new book Draft Animals. We're going to be talking about his Fondo. We're going to be talking about uh the worst retirement ever. But before we do that guys, I'd like to talk about me. Uh, that's <laughs> I I will always find a <laughs> <laughs> well, at least this is no different than usual. No, I was going to say, else why would I be here, right? Every episode of this podcast, we have a very important question, a simple little poll that we put up on Twitter with very important research into the cycling culture and riding techniques. Last week, we asked this question, what is the appropriate role of earbuds in cycling? There were four uh, four. Multiple choice answers, A, rock on, B, one bud in, one ear free, C, it's okay for mountain biking but not for road, and D, just say no. Before I reveal the results of that, and there were a lot, 845 votes in this one, I'm interested, Phil, what is your selection on that and why? Uh, Both ears and volume up. Because if I can hear my thoughts, I go insane. So, A, rock on for Phil. 
I, I would have I would have definitely been some sort of a, I'd be in prison now if if I was if I had to actually think my thoughts uh, on a bike ride on every bike ride. Oh God, that'd be horrible. So what is your what is your philosophy about awareness of what's going on around you and so forth? Cause I, are you being serious that you do listen to music both ears while you are training? Uh, dead serious. Usually it's podcasts actually because I need hmm. conversation to Me not too. go insane. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I am um, a like it, they're not noise canceling. You can still hear things the same as like a car is insulated. You still sort of know what's going on. I, I wish my headphones were that good to drown things out. Um, I you can feel cars coming like there's definitely times where like I have the music blasting in both ears. And for no reason that I could explain, I swerve eight inches to the right. And then a car comes by where my elbow was a second ago. Wow. I think that might just be years of experience. Um, I've not knock on wood i am in a wood chair been hit by a car yet uh with with that method if i feel like if it was unsafe i would feel unsafe or or i would know um uh lawyer up and sue me i don't know that's 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 what i do how about for other riders would you recommend uh rocking out or not rocking out or one ear in uh i don't know i mean one ear in probably for your first decade but I, I think I think people sort of learn their their limits. I, like I ride in in traffic in L.A. and and somehow like if it's it's safe. I in in the way I had a little Bose like sport earphones and they're not like if I snap my finger next to my ear, I hear it. Um, and if I was being honked at or if there's a car coming, I would also hear it. Yeah. How about you, Patrick? Where do you stand on the earbud debate? Um. Well. I love music. Uh, I really love writing to music. That said, I don't ride with earbuds on the road uh, because I like music so much that I'll turn it up enough that I'm not likely to hear an approaching car until it's right on me. And so for my part, I don't do that on the road. But if it's a mountain bike ride and I'm by myself, I'm blasting something. Very good. So I I am a a one earbud in kind of guy, except for on long, lonely climbs, and then it's both ears in. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, and then it's just going for it. I never listen. I, I, I always take the earbuds out for big descents, not so much because I want to be aware of things as that uh, there's enough wind noise that I can't hear anything anyways, and I don't want an earbud to fall out and lose it, you know? So, right. There you go. This is such an educational podcast. Here's the question that I am asking for this episode. And it's it's topically relevant. I'm about to interview Phil Guyman about his upcoming book, Draft Animals. What should I ask him? And the options are A, why no car chases? B, why so many footnotes? C, why all the cookie talk? And D, how'd Vodders like it? And so far, <laughs> in, in the 45 minutes since I have posted this, we've got 170 votes. So statistically significant already. Guess which answer got 58%. 58%. 58? Yes. Not just... Probably the cookie thing. Nope. Cookie huh. got the second lowest vote, actually, with 11%. Why so many footnotes? Most people don't even know why I threw that in there. Although it's right. a great question because your book is full of footnotes, which I love. And I do want to talk to you about that. Yeah, With I was thinking 8%. about how 
Yeah, they they won't appreciate that until they open the book. And the the footnotes, let me just say, are a delight in their own right. Yes, I, I thank you. I, not, yeah. not everyone appreciates a good footnote. I love them. We'll, we're going to get to the book proper, but okay. the number the why no car chases uh, that would of course was my throwaway answer. It took second, <laughs> but how'd Vodders like it? Fifty-eight percent of the people wanted to know what Vodders thought of that book, and I and we are going to spend the, uh, most of the rest of this podcast talking about that book. But maybe that would be a, a not half bad to a bad way to tease this. Has Vodders read this book, or have you at least sent him a copy to read? Um, I I I doubt if he's read it. Um, I don't know if he's he's much of a reader. I definitely didn't put him on the comp list. We, like we have like a, a media list uh, that for people who you know high social followers that relationship with. I sort of figured that that honestly, like I'm not trying to smear anyone in this book. I'm just trying to tell my story, and I sort of mm-hmm. told the the least that I could. Anybody who negatively affected me, I sort of told the least that I could to sort of get the point across. Um, and 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 Vodders is someone who he's he's Vodders, um, and I. I wasn't treated perfectly by him, but he was kind of, he was, he was the gatekeeper at the point where the gate was locked on me, um, a couple times. Yeah. He's a pivotal and, character and, in the book and yeah, he is. He's, he's a dynamic character yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, and, and he's sort of a, a, you know, meet your heroes kind of situation, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to, to make him look bad, but I definitely realized there's, there's going to be a couple lines he doesn't appreciate. But uh, then he shouldn't have acted like that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as I was reading, I was noticing how carefully and I don't know if part of this was your natural inclination or, you know, an editor coming in and going, well, maybe we should tweak it this way. But, you know, you you do a lot in terms of just leaving it to what. <clears throat> what could probably be construed as objective information stuff that I think could be, go, uh, could be verified pretty easily. You know, there wasn't always a lot of, uh, opinion other than statements like, well, Vodders is Vodders. Right. I mean, I, I guess kind of what I took away from a lot of this is like, it's, it's easy to, to, to blame someone else for your own failures or your own, or, or for your, your fate. Um, and and as I as I exited the sport, I kind of there were there were moments that I didn't feel like Vodders was doing his job well. And I think like I, I think this book will go a, a long way to explaining sort of the um, the difficulties that program has had. It, it'll at least not even a lot. Maybe it's that's not what it's about. But you'll definitely get a glimpse of like how he does business and how sort of sponsors are kind of treated as in the way in some cases rather than than so critical. Um and and just the kind of the way the way that business is done, um, which isn't as as reputable or honest as as you'd like, and how he's he's someone who who will take advantage of a situation, and that's how you get to be at the top um, in his in his spot. But uh, but I I generally found that it was healthier for me to take responsibility and say I wasn't good enough. You know, it was my failure. It's my mistake, and that's giving myself control over my fate um, rather than saying Vodder screwed me is, is something that a, that book has been written. David Miller wrote that book. Um, <laughs> and, but, but B like David Miller in that way, he's, he's giving Vodders the power. He's saying, I put my fate in the hands of, of this guy who's, who's, you know, 
who's who's not me, who doesn't have my best interest in hand. And that's ultimately on on that would be on me as well. And, you know, one of the nice things about your book, it reminded me in some ways of uh, Joe Parkins uh, book, Come and Gone, in that, you know, you get to the end and, you know, my takeaway was, you know, I went, I took my shot. You know, I conducted myself in a way that allows me to go forward with my life. You know, I didn't get the result I wanted, but I took my shot and I did it in a way I'll be able to live with. And I think that is one of those things that a lot of young people don't necessarily appreciate on the front end, that how you do it really does matter. And this goes way beyond just doping. You know, you talking about cooking breakfast for everyone at Redlands. You know, that's, that says a lot about character. Yeah, that's, it's, it's a weird thing when you, when you sort of look at the, at the people who win at all costs, whatever that means. Um, and, and I talked a lot about, uh, well, well, another kind of dynamic character is Andrew Tulansky. Yeah. Who, who, when, when you first kind of, when I first met him, he's, he was kind of in a place in his career where there was a lot on his plate, a lot of pressure on him to, to get these, these big results. Um, when he kind of, but he was also getting paid, you know, the same as Contador's third, you know, domestique <laughs> kind of thing. So like the, the logic of Andrew's supposed to be Contador, like it's not going to work. Um, and, and Andrew's engine isn't bored out from, from many years of doping. So he kind of has this like impossible task ahead of him that, that in some cases, like people saw him kind of lash out and, and and not come off great in interviews or in media. And, and he wasn't super easy to be, to, to work for. Um, but then you get to know him and it's like, no, this is just a nice guy in, in a really tough situation. Um, and gradually like he made peace with that as well. And Mm -hmm. so I sort of compared like the, his, his style of leadership was for a while. And this was other people too, was just yelling into the radio, you know, like get the fuck up to the front, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and that, that was to the team directors as well. Um, and another example of that, of, uh, but a different kind of leader was, was Ramunas Neverdauskas, um, who, who just, he wouldn't even ask you to take his jacket. You'd have to go and tap on his shoulder be like, Ramunas, it's warm out. Give me your damn jacket. And, and, and he's holding the doors and he's, he's six foot four and he sits in the backseat of the car before you get a chance to, to sit there. Like just, he, he would just do stuff like that to where. You know, at the end of it, I feel like that's he would rather be the guy who gets third because he's still wearing his wind vest than the guy who, like, you know, had a whole team kind of sacrifice for him and sacrifice their results. And it's a weird thing. But like he and he got third more than he had to. But it was kind of a decision that that I think he made that I, that the team wasn't always happy about. But I think like he got to be who he was and who he wanted to be. Um, and, and I wanted to be the guy who, like, was one of the guys I wanted to like. The, in that story, like the the kitchen was a mess at the host house at, at Redlands, and I was in yellow, and and I'm not gonna not gonna let the floor be filthy from this random family who let us stay there. Like I just I swept it, um, and and that's who I'd rather be. And if, if that means I get second because I wanted to sweep the floor and I was on my feet an extra five minutes, then then sort of so be it. Yeah, yeah. And while this book really is about a lot of races and about the arc of your career. It's also really about people and personalities. And I, I would love to just like go through a list of some of the pivotal characters, <laughs> characters meaning real life people who right. are, who are in this book. But I think before we do that, 
we should probably rewind just a little bit because it may be that not everybody knows exactly what this book is about. <laughs> sure. Probably listeners of this podcast, I would say 85% of them do, but let's let's humor the other 15% and give us the quick overview of where Draft Animals picks up and what it describes. Um, basically, Draft it kind of it kind of covers my whole my whole career, I feel like the, it's, it's funny. The first book I wrote ended when I joined the world tour and I thought that was the happy ending. And, and from now on I get to, you know, what, what I thought was going to happen was I would make six figures. I'd live in Girona, um, and, and life would be, would be chill. And the reality was, and this happened many times in a cycling career and probably many times when anybody tries to do something, uh, competitive, you, you think you've arrived and then you, you're sitting there for a few months and it's like, Oh no, I gotta, I gotta get better. I gotta keep climbing. Um, and it kind of starts with that as I joined the world tour and that was the thing that like nobody I knew had ever achieved and they'd all wanted. Um, and, and then, and then, Oh, I found out I actually suck. <laughs> like it starts out and I, and I win my first race, uh, with Garmin Sharp is it's crazy fluke. And then, and then I was, I was good and there was some fluking involved. Um, and, uh, it, this was the tour of San Louis in 2014. Um, and then, and I thought, oh man, I'm just I'm riding this wave. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna win the tour in two years. I'm gonna I'll, I'll make money, all that stuff. And then, uh, and then I started training with you know some of the best guys in the world and racing with them. And it's like I'm I'm setting a power record, and and Chris Froome is is way up the road. <laughs> and like and and I did a race with with Dan Martin. That was sort of a pivotal moment uh, where I, I I did a race and sort of watched him sell out for for Nathan Haas, our sprinter. And I kind of had to accept like, this is where I'm, I'm never going to get there. Like that's the best. And, and I'm not ever going to be that. Um, and so it's, it's chasing that dream and it's what it's like to, to be in the world tour and to be a pro cyclist. And, but sort of the broader theme is, is I think this goes for, I, I don't know, I live in LA, I'm friends with all kinds of like weird celebrity chefs and musicians, and they all have the same life where like you, 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 you chase something and then and no one gets to exactly where they want. So here's sort of how to carve happiness out of what you can get and, and how to make peace with what you can't. Um, so that's the, that's the subtitle It's draft animals and then living the pro cycling dream once in a while where carving out those little points where, where it is the dream that you wanted and, and appreciating that. How to settle. <laughs> <laughs> can I just talk about the dissonance between listening to Phil say he sucks and then me casually reference all the koms in the la area on strava yeah believe it or not strava isn't the ultimate uh the ultimate performance indicator or or predictor (laughs) of ability i I, I know i I get that yeah i do have la strava dominance um, I've, I've achieved that, but that's, and that's the thing is it, there's an irony to part of what's so much fun about Strava for me is there's a, there's a great irony to like the people who really want it, like versus the guy who knows that it doesn't mean anything. Like the one guy who has it here is the one who knows, like, I know exactly how bad I am. Like everybody else can take a Strava and think like, Oh, I could do well at this whatever race. And I'm like, <laughs> I have it. And I know and and every time I get one, I just I just think like, how bad would Mike Woods shit on this time? <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's that's all that happened. Like I can't I'm I cannot be proud of it. I'm the only person to, to who could have them who wouldn't be proud of it because I know the reality. 
And Mike Woods is one of the people who you who also plays an important role in this book. Because he, you know, I wouldn't say that you were the guy who discovered him. I mean, he was on Team Optum the year that you were there as well. But the two of you really bonded. I would love to hear a little bit more about that and his trajectory. Well, there's a point where, where when when I met I met Tom Danielson, and that's probably another name you're thinking of bringing up. Mm-hmm. Um, where he, and I say this about him in the book, was he was he was the first person. A lot of people, like everybody you run into, when you're the best guy on Strava, you're the best guy in your neighborhood, you're the best guy on the group ride, everyone's like, oh, you should go pro. And they say that to every 19-year-old kid, and and you know what, like, th- you're not that good. If you're the best, I was the best guy in Gainesville, Florida, like, that doesn't actually mean anything. Um, and, and when I got out of there, I was in for a rough five years <laughs> until <laughs> until I was good enough to be worth anything anywhere else. Um, and, and I think like there, that, that was a harsh reality and a, and a harsh, like, yeah, you just something that you all have to deal with. And as we rise out of our, our smaller circles and, and being the big fish and whatever our ponds, um, the, the, so the first person, so everyone told me I should be pro, I could go world tour, but I, and you shrug it off cause you've, cause I, by then I'd, I'd been doing big races and, and then, uh, and there's a point where Tom Danielson said it after training with them a few times. And I was like, Okay, he actually knows what it takes because he's he's there, and he was the first person to sort of tell me I could make it at the real level. Um, boy, was he wrong! But uh, <laughs> but he was the first person to tell me that I deserved to be there. Who who I took any faith in, and I think uh, it was it was sort of cool that that I got to be one of the people who who rode the Mike Woods wave, um, and and was able to kind of tell him that. I don't think I, I'm sure he'd heard it before, but uh, but I don't think he believed it. Uh, and then he was, boy, was he killing me? Uh, he, he nearly, he nearly ended my career and it was an honor to, to, to be overshadowed by him. And, and, and that really comes through. And I think we probably should talk a little, I mean, you brought up to, uh, Tom Danielson a moment ago. And if we were to do a word count on, or a mention count, I would say Tom probably appears more than practically any other character in the book. And, it's. I mean, that is. There's a real friendship story there. A, a a an awareness of the awkwardness of it, and then sort of a a, a question mark of where is this going now? Tell us a little bit about that because I think that's a. I, I think that that is a, a real. I don't know. A, a really great picture of the nuance, the discussions of friendship and acceptance and doping and everything uh, usually fail to acknowledge. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's, it's a question that I, that I got a lot, especially in those years I was, I was living with him in Girona. So part of, part of what kind of brought me to the, to the forefront uh, when, when I started racing and before I got good, I got this tattoo of, it says clean, uh, I was real pissed about dopers um, because at the time when I when I came into the sport, uh, when like just as I got to be good enough to kind of get a paycheck and and like be a factor in big races, the sponsors were gone and there was no money and and my salary was two thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars, twelve thousand dollars. Like that's what I that's how I had to live uh, when I was and I was winning big races um, and. And, and that, and I sort of blame that, I think, fairly on on the generation before me that had sort of ridden that wave and 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 cashed out and uh, and and the bubble popped. Um, so I I was I became known for being kind of an anti-doping, angry guy, and I think people sort of misunderstood 
a little bit that that I that I hate all dopers, and part of it was kind of like I, I hate this whole thing and I hate what it did. Uh, but it's another factor was I understand because um, because you you want it, you know. And there were times in my career where I was super desperate. Um, but when and one of those times was when I, I met Tom Danielson on a group ride and. And I was and I was angry at Dopers and I was angry he was invited and I tried to it was a dead flat ride in Naples, Florida, um, and I tried to drop Tommy D on a flat road. I just wanted to make him hurt. And uh, and at the end of that, he was like, "Hey man, you're good. You should train with me and I'll help you get to the world tour." And and I reluctantly went and trained with him because <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know anything else to do. I'd, I'd won Redlands and and not gotten a call back from any of the Euro teams. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go do repeats with this, this asshole on Mount Lemon. And, um, he, he taught me a lot about training and I got to know him as a non doper. He was serving a suspension at the time. Um, so, and I, and I sort of learned the gray area of, of, you know, there's, there's dopers who are, who are looking for as many drugs as they can. And there's dopers who, who were past a needle and, and thought they had to do it. And then there were people who pushed it away and, and those names you've never fucking heard of. And that's a bummer. Um, and then there were people who, who made an effort after the fact for, for whatever reason. And with, with Tom, it was, it was specifically about me. I think that was a part of him wanting to give back to the sport was like finding this poor, stupid, clean guy and, and trying to help him get to the next level and, and achieve my dream. And, uh, and ultimately, like he did, and and he and then the first thing he did was work for me at the Tour of San Louis uh, mm-hmm. when I was when I was in the leaders jersey, um, and then go a year and a half later, and he tests positive again for something weird, uh, and and I had to deal with that at a time where like everything else was kind of toppling around me too. Um, I had to deal with that. He had to deal with it. <laughs> right. Uh, but but I from from my perspective, it was it was a difficult. Uh, point for me and and kind of a level of betrayal or mistake or confusion or something that I had to wrap my head around um, and it, it might be worth circle it, or not yeah it might be worth giving a little bit of context of what you were going through at that time it's that because having to cope with yet one more thing right then may be uh, you know maybe more than any person can really cope with <laughs> Right. No, I was hanging by a thread at the the at that point. I was uh, I was being strung along by Vodders for for the third year in a row. You know, he does the thing where you're you're, you're texting him all year, um, but but you're not, or or you get an offer but you don't get a contract, and it's it's uh, he he really makes you earn your sixty five thousand dollars a year, um, you know, socially if if in whatever every aspect the the the, the level of how competitive it is, is, is bizarre. And, and looking back, like it's, it's horrible how you have to perform at that level physically and go through this like weird mental chess game. Um, and, and it's horrible. Just like the, the insecurity that I lived half, like I was on, I never had more than a one year contract. Um, actually I had one, two year contract, but the team folded halfway through the second year. That was Kenda. Um, so I never actually got the second contract, but, uh, but the, just the insecurity that you have to deal with that, that can just, it ends up, it was half my twenties was, 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 Oh man, I'm in trouble. Like you're, you feel okay for the first couple of races and then, uh, and then you're begging come for a contract and every race is your, your self-worth and, and everyone is your competition. And it's, and it's, when do I get my chance? It's horrible. And I see my teammates and friends that still go through that. Um, and so I, that was, I was in the midst of that. And mm-hmm. then, uh, my, I was middle, 
of a, of a breakup. I was engaged and that was, uh, that was falling apart. Um, and my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer, uh, all within like three weeks. So, yeah. and I was, and I was trying to get my contract and, and perform well at the tour of Utah. It was going to be like, you know, every race is the most important race of your career when, when Vodders keeps texting you. Um, so, and, and part of that was, was right at the beginning before the tour of Utah started was Danielson tested positive, uh, for, for, I forget what it even was anymore. Um, DHEA, was that it? Yeah, ultimately it was DHEA. Yeah, they, that was, that was the, the eventual findings. Um, now, one of the things that was so interesting to me is that so often guys like Danielson are portrayed really two dimensionally. Uh, you know, in, in my work with RKP, I've frequently written about, you know, the, the black hat villain. You know, you're either you've either got the white cowboy hat on or, you, or you've got the black hat on. And, you know, one of my. One of the things that will cause me to recommend this book to my readers and my friends is that you take the time to give a guy like Danielson, who at this point in his career is just so easy to write off, uh, not just as, as a pro cyclist, but as a, but as a person. You know, it's easy to reduce him to a cardboard cutout of a villain and just go, oh, that dude. And you take the time to show, you know, how human he could be how friendly he could be, uh, his ability to give to others. And at that point, it becomes a whole lot harder to just write someone off entirely. And I, I really appreciate that you took the time to do that. I, it speaks to a certain sense of integrity on your part. Well, I think a lot of that's just growing up or just being kind of a, a smart uh, person where I, I saw him with the black hat too before I knew him. And I understand why anybody would see him with that way now. Um, and, and I still, I, to be honest, I still see Lance as the, the ultimate superhero villain. Um, and I, I can't even, it, it confuses me that anybody sees otherwise, but, uh, but when you know them and like, I'm sure, I'm sure it's different for people who know Lance, you know, I'm sure he's, he's very nice. You fucking have to be nice. <laughs> uh, he better be nice is the thing. And, and, and Danielson was kind of someone that, that he overcame the, that that to me um and and i and i had to sort of accept him as as a good person as as much as i didn't want to um and i I had to wrestle with with what that meant to to me and who i am as an anti-doper and 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 make peace with it and i think and i think he earned he earned all that and he earned my trust and and the book will explain it that that's that was sort of i think i was heavy on that because i i i after having the first book out, I knew I knew what the trolls would say because I because they they'd already spoken, mm. um, and and it's sort of you 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 carry that around as like I'm I'm gonna I'm going to make you understand like I'm going to make it where I'm gonna put you where I was and and I think I got better at that for this one. I'll be interested to check back in with you a year from now and see how often you've heard from people who go you know. Okay, I get it better now. Uh, people who who extend any level of increased understanding or increased empathy for this, because one of the things that I see is that you know guys like uh, Danielson and Vauders and Hinkapi and Levi here in my town, you know they're they're ours. They're cyclists. They're part of our greater tribe. 
they might be fallen sons, but they are still ours. And one of the things that I see for the health of the sport, the health of our community, is that we need to find a way to move beyond this, to you know repair those bonds, hopefully in some way, and you know acknowledge our past and say we don't need to be there anymore. But you know blackballing people in their entirety, I don't see as being a particularly uh, healthy solution. And so I'm, I'd be interested to see, I get shouted down a lot by readers and, you know, people in social media. Um, I, I continue to stick with my outlook. So I'd be really interested to hear sometime in the future, you know, if, if your experience is like mine or if people do evolve in their view on this. It'll, it'll be both. And I think yeah. frustratingly people, the, 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 the one that people want to forgive is Lance, uh, who's, who's the one I feel like should be blackballed. Uh, yeah. He's, he's kind of the ringleader. I feel like there's, there's, there's not to me, there's, there's no, there shouldn't be any coming back from that, but that's kind of the, the one, but this is where this is a country that elects Trump. And I think OJ Simpson has a show. Uh, so what, what hope is there anymore? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, all, all I can do is kind of say, here's, here's how I feel and here's why. And, and, uh, and if people, my, my friends will be my friends and, and my trolls will get blocked and, and that's how we'll live. My name is Phil Guyman. I was a pro cyclist for 10 years, but at the end of 2016, I realized that I had to quit racing and get a job. I couldn't be the best at pro cycling, so I've decided to be the absolute worst at retiring. This year, when I'm not working on weekends, I'm going after hill climb records on YouTube. So please enjoy Worst Retirement Ever. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you're a cyclist. And because you're a cyclist, you can save up to 25.5% on your life insurance by purchasing it through Health IQ. In addition to all the usual information you give for insurance, such as age, gender, height, weight, and nicotine use, the amount of riding you do each week is considered, and you can take quizzes that may reduce your payments further. It turns out that knowing what it takes to be fit has its own value. Health IQ knows that people who ride have an 18% lower risk of heart disease, a 28% lower risk of overall mortality, and a 45% lower risk of cancer. So drop by healthiq.com forward slash paceline podcast to get your free no obligation quote. So there are a few there are a few other things I want to talk to you about this book. Um, the book, of course, covers your essentially the three years of Garmin Sharp, Optum, and then Cannondale Draypack. Each is their own sections, but the the volume of each of those sections is pretty different. Uh, the Garmin Sharp gets uh, year gets considerably more space than Optum. In particular, right, and the Cannondale yeah. Draypack is is quite short as well. I'm interested. What led to the decision to focus on that first? You know, I, I won't say first year because it certainly wasn't your first year, but it's the first year that you talk about in depth in the book. To focus on right. that one especially, 
And then I want to ask you about Optum too, but let's go with the Garmin Sharp here first. Sure. Well, I mean, that that year was essentially that was when, when my dreams came true and were simultaneously shattered. Um, <laughs> uh, and and I think like, that was that was sort of the curve of I have to I have to accept what what I am and what I'm not and and I and I had to I I learned my place in the sport and I learned what what all my work had sort of built up to and, and the best case scenario. Yeah. Um, so those years cover like the years where I was at the top of of my physical game and and you know close to the top of the sport, um, and. But but I think that one was kind of where where the emotional where the emotional journey sort of was most impactful and where you know I met all my heroes and I learned this this thing I'd been I'd been going for forever. Um, I, I just it seemed like that year felt like three when I went through it. Yeah. Um, and then and then Optum was just trying to get back to it to have another taste and then by the time honestly like and and I, I kind of say this at the end but it was it was over by the time I got to Kenneth Dray Pack I didn't accept it but. Uh, but I, I never I never really had a shot, and that's that's another thing I can kind of be be grumpy of otters about if I choose to. But it, it wasn't it wasn't ever quite there, um, and and I realized that sort of halfway through, and and more so by the end. Yeah. By by the end of that season, I was still training for you know I was I was taken off the roster for the Vuelta, and I, that was when I was uh, sending book proposals to Penguin. I'm I'm on my porch in Girona, wishing I was racing, and and you know writing uh making myself cry listening to the cathedral bells and there were a couple of parts that were incredibly touching there and i i i think we ought to read a couple of them i i wanted to read one of the parts that i really liked or it might wind up being too just depending on uh whether my voice holds out but <laughs> for your uh for what i'm going to call your optum year um you cover this sector you title this section of the book the year when when everything went horribly wrong it's a short section for sure and i mean clearly you're you're foreshadowing that this that a lot of things went bad for you and you've already described a lot of them there's a breakup with your girlfriend there is the scrambling to get back into a world tour team and the question mark of whether you're going to get into a team at all and then there is your father's cancer returning i mean stuff that is just a lot of really bad stuff have you but if you and, and this may sound weird but if you take that away if you take all the stuff that personally was horrible for you away the year you had with that team in a lot of ways seems really amazing and awesome i mean it's also the year when you uh, got respect from your peers it was the year when you got to know this guy who you did who you mike woods who you uh, emphasize with you know capitalizing real talent uh also the name of your podcast um and it, it seems like that in a lot of ways apart from the personal tragedy was really a fantastic year for you i mean everything that happens i guess happens for uh, minus the part about my dad dying sort of it's, it's for the better and any any change that, that eventually takes place and even if it even when it hurts uh, if, if it was going to happen, it, it had to happen and, and you're going to be better for dealing with it. Um, and that goes from me transitioning from being a team leader uh, at the beginning of that year to to recognizing like, OK, this Mike Woods guy, like he's on a different kind of rocket ship. Uh, like I, I know where I know where I topped out. I just felt that in 2014 as I experienced yeah. the, the Dan Martins 
and 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 the contadors and whatever and and I and I'm not getting there but but I sort of recognize like oh this guy this guy should and he will and and I'm and if and if he takes my spot I'm okay with it and uh and I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to to kind of help him and support him and um and at the end there wasn't anything I could do because his rocket ship was his rocket ship <laughs> and <laughs> I, I couldn't I couldn't really move the needle of, of Mike Woods as much as I tried to help him. I think I was moral support um but uh yeah so I think that that ended up being really rewarding where where I got to sort of make a I got to win Redlands like that's that's something that that looking back at the time I was like I don't give a shit this is I know what Redlands is and I know guys who could who could win that and that's not a big deal and now I'm like I won Redlands twice I can be proud of that like it it took me a long time to get there to sort of accept like okay I I didn't do everything I wanted but I did what I could and but and then the the woods relationship is sort of here's someone who who can live the dream for me is is I have and there's a few people that I kind of mentioned the other one is Gwen Jorgensen hmm. who here's someone that that I that I'm incredibly lucky to know and and I I can't achieve my dreams but but they do exist and and I can I can feel them through that person uh, who I who I know and love yeah 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 you're clearly in in the in the second and third year in particular there is a mix of the aspects of you've achieved the dream to a degree in this first part and you know in your first book even but only barely and sort of transiently right and then right. seeing other people uh, hit that mark and going past and instead of necessarily having jealousy um or anger there's it, toward the end it seems like there's a real pride and a, a joy in being a part of that right it, knowing just knowing what you have and what you don't have and seeing the work that others are capable of um when when you get to the top you boy do you meet some people <laughs> um it's it's been it's been cool just living living in LA like being being a guy who raced at the level that I did it, it kind of gets it, it's gotten me some meetings with people. It's gotten me close to a TV show, and I'm I'm friends with all these like celebrity chefs by a weird coincidence. And um, and and then, but but yeah, I got to I you you get to know people who, and it's like oh I I I have a lot, and I did a lot, but like I I I don't have what Gwen has, um, and that's not that's not even just a physical gift. It's that's the that's the energy and the drive and the and the you know I thought I worked hard, and but that's what working hard is. Um, and then, and then you eventually, you, you do see it pay off for, for those people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's, that was the best I could find for a happy ending, but, uh, but I did, <laughs> I did feel it. So I, I wanted to read a section out of this, but my voice, to be honest, is, you know, 80% shot right now. Dave and, Will. oh yeah, I, it's time for more of that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's your book and you're going to read it better anyway. I, I understand you did do the audible version of this book. Is that right? I did. Yeah, that That's was pretty awesome. fun. Okay. Cool. So you guys so, talk about the the footnotes. It was like the when you when you write when you read the the Audible book, they just take the footnotes out. But those um, are important. Oh. So what do yeah, you well, do? Yeah, well, so I just I just said them. <laughs> like I had it I had it memorized, like I know what I wrote. Uh-huh. I'm just I'm just in there and I there's like a director through the glass and he kind of points at you when you miss a word or something and you go back a sentence and I was just like wave them off half the time. I was like, "No, really." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, do you just use a parenthetical voice for your when you're reading your footnotes in, uh, in for Audible? 
Um, yeah, I guess so. It's, it's, I think it comes off. Or, yeah. yeah, I'll just get a little softer. Um, not, yeah, the, the, the jokes, the jokes work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, read us a, a, a give us a, a sample of, uh, of Phil Guyman reading Draft Animals. Some, a, a section that you like. Okay. Um, you gotta give me a minute Tell to us where it's from. go through this thing. Oh, I can give you a section if you want. I'll, oh yeah, you you had something. I forget where it was. I really liked uh, starting on page eighty five in uh, chapter thirteen. Okay, hang on. I'm just scrolling through, and I found something else. Screw you. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, this is when I this is sort of the the living the dream kind of moment. This is arriving in Europe, um, and and getting to know and appreciate uh, Old Town Girona. Um, so with another month in Europe, I made an effort to be social heading to Old Town Girona, the small corner of the city where most of my teammates were clustered. It was only a few kilometers from Tom's house, as Tom Danielson, but it might as well have been another century, with cobblestone streets built in AD 800 and a cathedral that towers over the city, serenading tourists with its bell every hour. And then in asterisks I have, as a writer, this is cheating, but if that description isn't good enough, Girona is where they film Game of Thrones. So that's what I do with the asterisks, is that's, that's where I, I kind of try to be a mature author and and I've grown up with this one and then but deep down in my soul I can't so the bottom is where I make a joke or make fun of myself generally that that's something you have to you have to move your eyes to get and you can skip it if you want to read an adult book Uh, I should have lived in old town all along where you don't need a car and you go to the same shops and restaurants as the other pros so it's easy to make friends and enjoy impromptu gelato in the evenings in the states pros flock to boulder I'd never wanted to tackle a Colorado winter but I understood the appeal of living close to other racers. And Girona was Boulder on steroids. Wait, Boulder on EPO? Never mind. <laughs> there we go. That all is that is that enough? Do you guys want more? Oh, we'll have you do the whole thing if you want. Free oh, the whole chapter? <laughs> yeah, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> all right. Um there was I, I'm gonna have you do one more, if if sure. that's all right. Uh chapter fifty six, starting on page three oh five. Um, start, start with the second paragraph and go, uh, until I tell you to stop. It's just, th- this sort of is a nice little section of sort of where your, uh, where There's your tour of San Luis. Yeah. The tour of San Luis and your, uh, relationship with Tolansky had evolved, uh, considerably. Wait, at 56 this point. or 85? Uh, this is chapter 56 and. Oh, give it, me a page number. Yeah. 305. 305. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We're getting there. You hear that? Okay. Uh, second paragraph. Uh, stage two started in Pasadena, where I had a full cheering section. This is the right part, right? Yep. Okay. Where I had a full cheering section and a ridiculous quantity of cookies, and I didn't miss the local boy introduction. Ben King took the GC lead when he won the stage out of a breakaway. So we had to control the race on the way to Gibraltar on stage three. I was disappointed when Wigelius, that's the, the director who, who never really liked me, uh, Wigelius told me to pull on the front, ready to waste me before the climb he knew I'd been preparing for. Once again, I'd miss an opportunity, but I worked my way up, ready to do my job, until Tolansky grabbed my jersey and held me back. Andrew didn't care what our director said. We'd been training together, and he knew I was better than the team gave me credit for. Stay here, Phil, he said. We're saving you for the climb. So I didn't get to race for my own result, but at the bottom of Gibraltar, with 0.000001% of the world watching, 
I took the front and tore that pack apart. Hang on, I got to do an aside here. When I read the Audible thing, so like you do the recording and they have the director and then there's a, and then like when you make a mistake, you go back. And uh, I'm I'm proud of this and nobody cares. But when uh, and then like it took it took like two and a half days to read the whole thing. Um, what was that? And then like eight hour sessions or something. Mm-hmm. And the, you stop for for tea with honey in it. Um, but then at the end you go back like a month later and they've had their editors go through and they do what's called pickups, where if you miss something, if you made a mistake, uh, you, you fix those. And, and I went back and, and they, they told me like, Hey, we got pickups tomorrow, like, you know, four hours on the schedule. And I was kind of like four hours. I didn't screw up that much for sure. I don't need. And they're like, no, it's just even the pro readers have, you know, like an average of like 40 pickups for an error for a a book this long. And I was kind of like, ah, that's weird. And I went there and uh, and there were four pickups, and one of them was uh, was because there was an airplane flying overhead, so it wasn't even my fault. And then the other one was I got the number of zeros wrong in the point zero 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 one percent, which isn't even an accurate number anyway. I just made up a bunch of zeros, but they I, I had to correct that. I went back. That's that's they attention to, their attention to detail and b that's how good of a professional reader I am. Except I have a weird uh, whiny voice. Um, <laughs> But I, I was, I was, I left there really. I was like, that's right. I had two mistakes. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. So with that many world watching, I took. So now I'm on the front on Gibraltar, and um, uh, yeah, Phil said to Lansky at 450 watts, show him you belong here. Yeah, and that's... Uh, so that was Andrew cheering me on and and taking that role and and being a rare person who believed in me and trusted me. Yeah, and um, it's an interesting progression from earlier in page 85 where he is sending you on a ridiculous errand to go uh, fetch Z-bars, right? A, not just a cliff bar, but a very particular kind of cliff bar that has a few fewer calories and is in children's flavors. Right. Um, it's, the, the difference you know, from beginning of the book to end of book is really startling just in, in evolution of, uh, of characters and your relationships with, with them. So some good stuff. I, I, uh, I read the entire book. Um, so, you know, at least one person has read the entire book, Phil. I mean, it's Very cool. Apart, that's, from, that's apart from yourself. So that's good. Um, I've read it like a hundred times. So that's, that's <laughs> one read so far. And I recommend it. Uh, it is a good book for someone, someone who is interested in uh, seeing what it's like on the real inside, what it's like to be at the bottom of the highest level of sport is really kind of what it, it what it is. Um Anyone who has ever, say, qualified for a Kona or who has uh, made it into the Boston Marathon and then seen how fast the people who are going to win, how much faster they are than you, might get a sense of that. Um, It's so astounding. (laughs) It really is. That said, it's not like you are slow. Um, And you have some interesting personal projects going on right now. So this book is about what you've done. Tell us a little. um, Well, first of all, uh, let's not let's not leave the book on the table until you say where people can find it. Oh, sure. Uh, So it's called Draft Animals Living the Pro Cycling Dream Once in a While. Um, And it's uh, it's it's pretty much in all the bookstores, like the the major bookstores anyway, maybe not the little one at the airport, but. Um, it should be everywhere. Amazon, you can get a signed copy at, uh, philsfondo.com slash shop. Hmm. I'll, I'll, I got a box of Sharpies. We'll sign all those. That's sort of a bonus people who pre-order. I don't know how long I'm going to keep, uh, signing those, but, um, 
but for now we'll we'll do that. And especially like the the pre-order, I get like the first week. The way big publishers go, like I had I worked with with a smaller with VeloPress before, who's uh, they kind of have a certain strategy. The way bigger publishers go is they they look at the initial reviews, they look at the initial sales, and if it's good, they they push it, and if it's bad, they throw it away. Uh, so we want to be in the former of those. All right. So if you're going to uh, buy a copy, buy it now. Yeah, exactly. If you're gonna, if you're, if you're thinking about, oh, I'll get it for Christmas. No, like get it now and put it in a box for for a couple months. Uh, do me a favor. Yeah. And it'll, uh, yeah, it'll pay off. So that's, but that's, that's that. What was your? Where are we going from there? I forgot. From there, I want to know what you what you've got going on right now. You've got your po- own podcast. Let's talk a little bit about that. And you've got a fondo coming up. Sure. Um, yeah, I got my own podcast. I kind of took a hiatus this year. This was a weird year. I was supposed to start a job. Um, and that was kind of part of what made it a little easier to retire was I had a job lined up. Um, and then the guy who was going to hire me ended up getting a job offer elsewhere um, where he's he's going to bring me. But it took a while. So we're, we're still we're still kind of cooking on my employment, mm-hmm. um, which meant that I have to have 11 jobs to to survive. <laughs> Uh, in between, uh, which is, which is one of them. It, there was a sad point in around January this year. I was like, Oh, this job isn't going to happen. And I sort of evaluated my, my short term options and my best way, the, the best thing that I could think of to pay my bills was to start a YouTube channel about Strava. Like that was where my life went. I'm a, <laughs> I think I'm like a successful, uh, rational person. And it was like, fuck, this is what I have to do right now. This is what I've got myself into. Um, but, but I had, I had relationships from, from the cycling industry and I had kind of some, some sponsors I worked with before who were like, Hey, what are you doing? Can we do something with you? And that was, that was what I came up with. And, uh, and by a weird, it, it, it mostly kind of worked like people watch it. And so it's called worst retirement ever. So the idea is I'm retired, but I'm still annihilating myself on climbs and I'm still, uh, eating salads and, and training really hard. And, uh, so we, we, people would vote on my Facebook page of which climb I go to. Um, and then I show up and, uh, and we film it and we make a little story out of it and that's all on YouTube. Um, so that's worst retirement ever. So that's, that's one, that was, a, that was most of the year, uh, was, was getting that going and then mm. continually finding new sponsors to help sort of fund it and, and make it work. Um, cause it turns out that a, it turns out it's a job to like manage three different videos on levels of production with different video people and, and uh, editors and that kind of thing, and then logistics and actually trying to stay in shape enough to be relevant on <laughs> on world class KOM <laughs> turned out that wasn't like going to be super easy. Uh, and then the other one is uh, I have the and then the, the book which was eventually finished in like April, um, and and now kind of getting the word about that. And then the Fondo was another big project, which is um, it's When's it was. The Fondo? I, that's that's this week as this comes out. It's October fifteenth, Sunday. So uh, you know, honestly, it's worth a drive from Utah. I'm not gonna like I I wouldn't lie to you. It's it's like we've, it's it's I worked really hard because I had so much frustrating free time. Um, I'm like I'm gonna make this fondo awesome, and and I so I've got these weird relationships with celebrity chefs who are making cookies top of every climb. There's like gourmet cookies, um, and we're working with this chef cycle charity. So it raises money for for hungry kids. Um, and it's and and all these guys are kind of donating their time, like the you know guys with with Michelin restaurants and 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 who are feeding Johnny Depp on a daily basis, kind of people. <laughs> uh, they're they're cruising over to Malibu to feed a bunch of salty cyclists on a Sunday. 
Um, that was accidentally alliterative. Um, and, and, you know, so there's like a, there's a coffee stop on the beach. So we've got like Peddler's Fork is this awesome restaurant near me and they they come over and, and they're pulling espresso shots and you stop and you put your feet up. It's Euro style, you know, it's off season. And, uh, so you, you, you do your bike ride and you, you race if you want to, you race the climbs and then you stop and you, and you have a coffee and Very you have nice. some bars and that's, a yeah. So it's basically like, I, I just spend a ton of time and I was surprised last year how, rewarding it was to just like hang around at the at the finish at the expo and just see a thousand people come by with a big smile on their face and and thanking me for an awesome day um and so i think that's at least for now that's my next uh my next chapter is finding ways that that i enjoy riding the bike that's that's gradually less competitive and, and less dependent on me cutting out the cookies um and and more kind of inclusive and and uh and so far this is it and it's been great Awesome. How do people find out more about the Fondo? Uh, that's philsfondo.com. How easy. Right? It's a coincidence. Yeah. Truth in advertising. <laughs> <laughs> we tried. All right. Let's go on to the Pace Line picks real quick, because even though this is kind of an unusual episode where we're mostly just talking about one thing or a person, uh, I guess, are people things? It doesn't matter. We're going to still do the Pace Line picks. And that's where we talk about something that we want to talk about, usually bike related, but sometimes only barely. And I am picking Kirkland vitamin C tablets. <laughs> Obviously these things have not kept me from getting a cold, but they're basically as delicious as sweet tarts. <laughs> and they are about a 10th the cost of sweet tarts and they are sugar free. Forget oh. the forget them the whole vitamins <laughs> part of it. These are the most delicious, cheapest, sugar-free candy on the market. Kirkland snack. snacks, vitamin C tablets. <laughs> Pick up a bottle. It's like ten bucks for a million. Bring us home, <laughs> Phil. Wow, that's hard to top. Um, mine would be. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's a, a white noise machine. Um, I'm, I'm a horrible sleeper. I think everybody struggles with sleeping, but especially like when you're, I, I was overseas all the time. And, and if, if you gave me anything that could keep me awake, it would be, it, it would work. Um, so I learned to travel with a white noise machine and there's lots of kinds of white noise and you can, some people get a white noise app. Some people don't have trouble sleeping and I hate you. Um, <laughs> and, but, and then there's the people who have like, there's an app that you can get on your phone that just plays white noise through the, your phone speaker. Mm. Um, yep which that's see that that does that works for some people for me like I will I'll listen to that and I'll find the part where the sound the, the sound which is like, supposed to make no sound but it does repeat on a loop you find I'll the, find that part you find the scene and, and, yeah, and obsess and I, on it and I and I and I there's nothing else in my world but that scene oh yeah um and I if as I, you can I, tell I've been there before I fell asleep right <laughs> but they do have the 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 dome it's like a $50 white noise machine it's large and it's actually a physical fan that runs at a certain speed and you can adjust the volume and the and the the speed of it um but uh but it works and and there is no seam and it's a real sound it's not like a digital rendering of a sound yeah. through a speaker um, and I had one in Europe that I, I bequeathed to, to Nathan Haas and, uh, and his girlfriend, Laura Fletcher, when I left, it was the Euro plugs. And I was like, they, they had just bought a place right above the Rambla. I was like, you're going to need this and I don't need Euro plugs in my life anymore. So here, um, and, and they, they've, they, they appreciated it. And now I, and I have one that I travel with, um, a U.S. plug plug-y one. And then I, I do not go without the white noise machine. 
Now I'm curious, um, you know, because going to Europe, coming back from Europe, jet lag, does the white noise help any at all in terms of making it easier to sleep when you've got jet lag, or is this just helpful to light sleepers? It's just helpful to light sleepers when you're when you're jet lagged. It's just that much harder to sleep. And here's removing another factor. There was sure. a whole like, but by, by the time I retired, I had a really good system worked out for adjusting the time zones that now I have rare occasion to apply. But uh, a combination of 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 melatonin and how to time that, and then how to train the next the first couple of days when you travel. Like the my last year racing, I was back and forth to the U.S. and Spain four times, and and I had it I had it nailed. Um, and it's of no use to anyone anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's actually super valuable advice. Anyone who races, whether amateur or pro, has to figure out the sleep equation. And that is a tough equation to solve. So, yeah, right. really helpful there. So what's it called again? Uh, I think it's just the if you search for like white noise machine, it's like a white dome shaped thing. I think it's D-O-H-M. Hmm. is the brand i have there's a few different versions of it i'm sure but it's like like don't get the cheap one if it's not like big and awkward and kind of annoying to travel with it's not it's not going to work it's the for wrong the, one the real the real freaks like you and me all right all right well i think that's going to be the final word for this episode of the pace line if you haven't been to itunes go there rate review us because we are wretched needy people who crave the validation only you can give us and if you have thanks for hottie and patrick and what the hell for Phil, too? I'm Fatty. You've been listening to The Pace Line. 